If you're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums Must Hear Before You Die. this episode we'll be talking about the sugar cubes life's too good in the room i have rob hi guy and on the line i have jackson hello and josh how's it going and ben life's too good is the debut studio album by icelandic alternative rock group the sugar cubes it was released on april 1988 by one little indian in the uk and europe and electra records in the u.s the producer was ray shulman and Derek brick and the genre is post-punk. I'm going to read from the book, Anar Eggert Thurtson. The Sugar Cubes were formed in 1986 as a joke by veterans of the Icelandic post-punk scene. The prank quickly mutated into something no one in their native country, least of all themselves, could have dreamed. They were <laughs> to become the first Icelandic band to enjoy international recognition while also forming a launchpad for Bjork's enormous solo success. The Cubes have been playing the songs from Life's Too Good live for two years in Iceland to no avail. All that changed when Birthday was released as a single in Britain in 1987. The press in the UK went overboard in its praise and suddenly the band was at the center of a major label bidding war. All deals were declined, however. The Sugar Cubes had a strong disdain for the music business, and interviews were characterized by the band's black, surreal humor. Life's Too Good was recorded in bits and pieces over a two-year period. Reviews were ecstatic when it was finally released. And it certainly is an impressive debut, fresh, energetic, managing to be playfully melodic and arty at the same time. Birthday has an otherworldly charm to it, carried by Bjork's remarkable voice, while the skewed, haunting deus deceptively lures the listener in. A weird and wonderful watershed of a record, indeed one in which different and desperate elements combine into a strong, unique whole. All right, what do we think of the Sugar Cubes? Life's too good. I love Iceland's answer to the B-52s. I love it. Yeah, that's a good take. (laughs) It is very B-52s-esque. Quirky, and like fun, a, yeah, boppy. It's, it's party music, man. I love it. Rocky? Yeah, I love it too. It's super fun, creative, original. You know, I think it's fantastic. I don't know. I, I never was a huge Sugar Cubes fan. I got into Bjork, and then I worked backwards to Sugar Cubes. And I do appreciate her, but I don't know about his... His delivery, it does have that Fred Schneider sort I of like... I can't disassociate it from Alex Cornea's like version of him. Just impersonating. Just, imper- yeah, impersonating just going it. for it. <laughs> Hot dog. Yeah. Like. <laughs> A lot of people said, too, that he, uh, Einar was, you know, not... He held them back because it was just a, 
like quirky way of like him. so campy so campy yeah but then other people said no the they needed him he was like his irreverent style and sort of wild public persona really made the sugar cubes who they are it's interesting to me that like they've they'd all been in even though they're really young they'd all been in bands for so long i mean bjork since she was 11 mm-hmm. right yeah. crazy and so at this point she's what 23 something like that probably and the idea that it's this joke band that you know they named it sugar cubes because that's what they sustained themselves on for nutrition in their like poor tours when they were in post-punk bands and stuff mm-hmm. and the fact that it's that approach of this like weird we're making fun of the music industry we're doing all this stuff right it comes out a whole lot better than it probably should yeah no Can absolutely yeah i was really surprised to hear that they just they went with the uh, Flux and the Pink Indians label uh, when they released on One one Little Indian. Uh, so they kind of were like rejecting all these major labels and they just went with this like essentially uh, cousins of Crass Records. Yeah. yeah and just right. released, you know, <laughs> right. Birthday with them. They just said, you know yeah. what, let's just go with we, we like this. <laughs> just and you know and one one little indian still puts out they they still release some of bjork's solo stuff too like her, her lps mm-hmm. I, I think she licenses to one little indian right it's awesome they were they were around um that label also did like chumbawamba you know when they're <laughs> punks uh the yeah, anarchist the, collective they, they still are yeah well yeah true uh shaman sneaker pimps um, but yeah, I just found it was so interesting that here's a, here's a band that has their break. And then the only thing they're, they want to do is just be like, no, no, thanks. Like just shun the public spotlight. It's fucking, it's, I think it's, it's a beautiful awesome. aesthetic. They still ended up on fucking Saturday Night Live, man. <laughs> like, oh yeah. The, uh, yeah. Bir- birthday fucking broke big. It's a weird song. <laughs> yeah. And even Motor Crash was a, like a modest UK mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. was released in the States as a, you know, as a single. Yeah. Uh, but again, like as, as you brought up Einar's vocals, Birthday has none of it. And yeah. Motor Crash has like, you know, the kind of bridge sort of part, you know, three quarters of the way through where he kind of talks with yeah. a lot of, you know, effects and stuff or whatever. And it comes across as a little more of like, a, a, you know, like a fun aesthetic kind of thing of that genre and that time period, as opposed to his, you know, Icelandic Fred Schneider approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A big thing listening to this record, it um it put into more of a like spotlight the importance of public image limited and the slits. Okay. And the uh j- just th- a lot of that is bleeding through on this record. Like hmm. you can see that hundred percent. And, and some bow wow wow too, and, and definitely some bow wow wow. I I'm still kind of with you, Birch. Like I I don't know if I should have had to have listened to all the. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was necessary, but I can tell you for certain the sugar cubes are listening to it, and mm-hmm. because of that, we we get some of this action, which is crazy. Like it, yeah. I mean, Iceland's just this little uh, little spot in between things. Like, and this is this is what they come up with. It's, I love it. Sorry. Yeah, it's amazing. I think you bring up a good point, though, that Birthday is all her. And it feels, to me, that song felt the most like her debut and post 
sugar cube stuff. I was going to say that could certainly be on her first album. Yeah. It's hundred percent. It's absolutely, it's it like the melody is beautiful. Like the song is just really pretty. And then they have this horn part going over top of it, which just like sets your teeth on edge. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's absolutely like Bjork's thing. <laughs> like that, that, that is absolutely her thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. What I like about this too, is that there's, and until I researched more, I didn't really know this. A, a lot of the stuff, like you brought up the horn, things that I assumed when I first heard this were synth, right? And a lot of Bjork stuff is feels very electronic, right? You know, there's a lot of things that then as I, as I learn more and listen to it more, they're actually doing it, right? They're finding ways to make these noises and, and get this this feel, right? Especially without, of course, the, the same sort of uh, audio support. Or, or production support that Bjork is going to have. Right. And I find that to be super cool and, and interesting. Totally. Yeah. I was uh, just doing some, some YouTube search and there was a, um, like it, it was Bjork recording uh, whatever album was going to happen, like before dancer in the dark. And she's like talking about the, uh, uh, like uh, this, this is all the drum machine stuff I'm doing, but everything else is going to be these like string arrangements. Mm-hmm. And then like it was that she brought in all of these pe- like Icelandic, like, uh, like string players, like to Madrid to do all of these parts. And like the, uh, the guy who was, uh, orchestrating it was just explaining like her use of fifths and how like, this is a very, this sounds very Icelandic. We'll talk more about that when we get to a Bjork's, actual stuff but uh no she she's uh she's got her finger on whatever that uh she has an identity already like mm-hmm. it, this is simply like you know the sugar cube stop in 92 bjork's got her debut in 93 like it's yeah she 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 was on her way she had lots of ideas to explore this really kind of sold people's fascination with 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 bjork and it's no surprise that it was you know birthday the song that is all bjork right that kind of crossed over oh you know. spiders in her pockets that's fun <laughs> oh she's got flies tied to her fingers <laughs> cool it's her birthday awesome okay <laughs> fucking weirdo <laughs> And I get that, but here's, and I wonder what you guys think about this. So I, I, I'm a big Bjork fan, especially the 90s stuff. That's really what I know the best. And so I feel like, yeah, she's always kind of, like you said, had this very specific identity and done her own thing. And I think that's part of what makes her so great. But I feel like a lot of her solo stuff is very like earnest. And even though it's weird, it's, it's sort of who she is. I wonder how much with this record, as they were, they set out to be a joke band, right? There's stuff that's very obviously like, you're playing at, at things, right? Yeah. And so I wonder, uh, you know, just kind of what, what those differences are there and, and where that sort of breaks from, oh, I'm in a joke band and we're doing this post-punk thing with Einar who's, you know, doing this, I think fun, I like it, but but I get why people don't, to what's going to become her first record on mm-hmm. her own, right? And it's fun to sort of see that. And so do you guys feel that there are earnest moments that there are moments that make you, you know, kind of see where she was going to go 
Uh, um, sure. In this, or do yeah. you feel like it's it's all because it's supposed to be a joke, right? It's supposed yeah. to be. I mean, yeah. even joke bands you take you take seriously when you're creating the music for mm-hmm. it. You know, it's right. just no, because it's yeah, yeah. funny doesn't yeah. mean that they aren't taking themselves seriously as musicians and as artists. I think. Yeah, you you just no, of course. So that's a good thesis. point. I guess it just means lyrically. You very much, Birch. You're welcome. You like Weird Al. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think that you're right. It's a, it's a weird issue. I, I was going to say that, you know, it comes out of the post-punk scene. So they are, you know, not as serious because they're, you know, punk rock and everyone has their own aesthetic and they're, they're kind of making fun of the, uh, what's the, what's the contest, the European Euro- Eurovision <laughs> sort of contest of like, oh, we can do this like pop stuff and make it silly and you know have our own identity and yeah it's kind of i feel like a take on that eurovision uh pop sugariness sure uh totally and then at the same time i feel like we as outsiders the world and especially the uk and england um sort of elevated them to being something maybe they weren't because it's like, oh, there's this quirky band from Iceland and, you know, they have this, you know, five foot singer with the voice of, you know, a thousand banshee angels. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a crazy voice. And and so everyone, it, it, it became this like self-perpetuating sort of. Uh, and I didn't even put it together. I, like idea. English is a second language. There's a good feasibility right. that the like translation of the original jokey Icelandic songs didn't quite make it in the English translation to get across the uh, we're sure. just having a good time. Sure, it's funny times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't understand how he picked up on squeaky clean. It's <laughs> real weird. <laughs> yeah, like where did he read that in a book? And he just was like, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. Squeaky. <laughs> I, I think there are plenty laughing. of earnest moments on the album. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. However, uh, it's interesting because so Bjork's her first solo album debut. I mean, that's like playful, but I don't think she really she hasn't really had this kind of sense of humor really since, right? Correct. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the opposite. Um, yeah, and I'm for sure. You, you know, I'm a huge huge admirer of Bjork as, a, as an as an artist but this is kind of as playful as she really ever has been and there, there are parts in this that remind me and I know we don't want to talk so much about her solo career but there, there's yeah things we're gonna that, get to it so totally yeah uh, but there's some things that I love about this record and it's even even if I had never heard it in the solo career so let's move on from that when her voice breaks mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite things in music yeah. And uh, like in Delicious totally. Demon, there's multiple parts where that happens and she's just pushing so hard. And I mean, she has a power and a, like, I mean, it is honestly, and I, I have not, nor can I think of any other records that might be on for this show that I would say this about. I cannot think of a comparison for her. And uh, and there are great singers. There are, there are lots of great singers that are in this book. It, you know, Prince, Michael Jackson. Uh, Mariah Carey, Whitney Hughes. I mean, there's, there's a mil- you know, but I cannot think of uh, of somebody who I could compare to this sort of like Rob said, identity. Mm-hmm. This uh, just this guttural power 
Uh, nothing sounds quite like it. Yeah, um, she has very unique. Very unique. I have written next to a delicious demon that uh, it it could have been a slits track. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, writing for New Musical Express 1992, journalist uh, Stephen Dalton stated the Sugar Cubes remain the coolest band ever, on stage and off, with the most drop-dead wonderful voice in pop history. So, you yeah, know, and, gonna... and such wow. statements were pretty common um, during while the Sugar Cubes were, you know, active. I would have I'm a sure. hard time arguing against that. Like, Bjork sounds like no one else. Yeah. yeah. I, I read another short review or quote, quotation, I should say, that I think Robin Birch may agree with um, from Emily Mackey. says, there's an awkward thorn, an inappropriate laugh, a naked bum around every corner in this album. <laughs> Talking about Einar. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I think so it's, it's like this, fucking this great. there's this beautiful thing. And then like, I know like, nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He just sticks in a little, yeah. He's like, well, yeah, but I love his it finger. It's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Icelandic yeah, like... Schneider strikes again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Okay, so I, I miss all the B fifty two stuff. You mean one one album? The one album. The one album. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Wow, I didn't know that there was. Yeah, only one. Wow. no, we're okay. mad about it. Uh, this this book skimps on on bands we like sometimes. Yeah. So uh, I was going to bring up a, a short little story um, when years ago, when a lot of our friends were working summertime construction, building a barn. Oh, um, some of you may have been there. Do you remember this? Uh, Rob? I was there yeah. with a yeah. broken arm uh, swinging a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so our friend Jay found out that the guy who kind of put it all together, hated the B-52s, but he loved 80s music. So he would never include the B-52s in any of the 80s music stuff that he played for us all day when we were working like eight or 10 hours, whatever. So to make up for it, Jay would go up to him speaking like Fred Schneider saying things like, Hey Rick, hand me that hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and I feel like you could do the same with Einar, right? And yeah, so, yeah, for like, sure. Like now finding out that Bert and Rob may not love Einar as much as as I do, <laughs> uh, you know, you you may catch a Icelandic Fred Schneider. Uh, so I, I'm late to the party here. Is Einar the the trumpetist? Yes. Yes, okay. and the other singer. Yeah, yeah. I watched that SNL uh, performance of theirs from 88. I, I couldn't find the other song. I found Birthday Party. Yeah, it was a great performance. But yeah, Einar's I, I just, he's got a tiny trumpet. And when he's not playing it, he's like voguing with it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so and, then, good. and then he'll interject some lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a quote here from Andrew Mueller. It says, Einar has been made the little hero of this piece, partially because he's the band's most immediately willful person but mostly because it's einar that gives the band their uh skewiff energy their jagged edge essentially like flavor flav in public enemy i was totally fred schneider in the (laughs) b52s oh i did want to bring up (laughs) there is a connection to the b52s and sugar cubes is um when offers came in from america for support slots uh around 1992 the Cure and the B-52s were on the list, uh, and they declined those. It just seemed like they were kind of out of their, you know, just doing whatever they want. But it wasn't until U2 called the Sugar Cubes and said, okay, let's do this. And so it was wow. in October, November of 1992. Octune, maybe? Over? Uh, <laughs> Sugar Cubes, I believe so. Uh, 92? 
Well, it, so by then it, it would have been Zeropa they would have been touring for probably, okay. right? Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when it was off. in 92, but it that tour opposed, exposed the sugar cubes to, or they were exposed to uh, a, an accumulative 700,000 people by wow. by having the direct support slot on that U2 tour. Wow. Yeah. And so just to be clear, it would have been the Zoo TV tour, which is where right. they first were doing. So they were doing Octane Baby stuff, but then also bringing in Zeropa stuff is probably what that is. Nope. Were they playing anything from the Zootopia soundtrack on that tour? Uh, yeah, well, actually, they uh, no, I was going to make up some sort of joke. <laughs> but the funny thing, though, is uh, Bono is the lion in Sing 2. So that's kind of a it, connection. Is he? I, I haven't seen Sing 2 yet. I saw Sing 1. I need to watch Sing 2. I mean, it's pretty good. I'll, 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 I'll wait. <laughs> I, I, I want to see Bono as a lion. And I, I want to see. I didn't cartoon. know it was him until I saw the credits. I want to see cartoon animals sing pop hits of today. Yeah, wait, yeah wait, wait that's till, exactly what it is. Wait till Henry's yeah. old enough to watch it three thousand times. You might be there sooner than you think, Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, their their manager definitely said you know he they, he's never worked with anyone quite like the sugar cubes who had no they they cared nothing about success getting a record fame anything they literally just were a band they're kind of like amazing. replacements in that way yeah I guess you're right. Except they didn't self-sabotage the <laughs> right. entire time. Well, they kind of did, but it didn't, well, it didn't matter. It seems like they, they tried a little bit. Like, just based on the birthday, like, hitting as hard as it did, like, they they couldn't really self-sabotage enough. Yeah. Interesting. It's wild, too. Like, then a lot of people from that scene, that sort of, like, post-punk scene that were, like, in the band or connected to the band, became politicians in Iceland. No. It's really interesting. Hmm. Um is it because there's so few people that they just need to start pulling double duty in, in like cultural roles? I was going to say the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think it's like, you're the mailman and now also, you know, <laughs> you're the mayor, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they lined up alphabetically close to each other. <laughs> like, and no one complains. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, you're, you're singing backup for the sugar cubes, but we kind of also need you to be baking bread for the town. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I've seen Fire Saga. I know how this goes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. Some of the highlights for Einar's uh, uh, comedic responses to uh, to the press are, quote, the bathtubs are relenting. Every bathtub in every hotel room, every city is out to get me now. Sometimes they suck me in, won't let me escape. It's getting worrying. Uh, that was the Melody Maker in 88. And then another one was, quote, of course, we just had our daily dose of drugs, so we are quite calm now. When it starts wearing off, we'll go completely crazy again, but the electric shocks are the worst thing. So, it just... <laughs> yeah. That's him. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Amazing. I didn't know until today that Bjork released her first album at age 11 in, like, 
77 or 78. Yeah. That's wild. Just been doing it forever. Man, that, uh, them, a bunch of, uh, folks becoming politicians in Iceland reminded me of the, uh, Fenris, uh, was he in Immortal? But like uh, in Norway, like he was elected to city council against his will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I, I feel like I mean, there's like a certain analog to the Pixies in a lot sure. of ways, which I don't think we've t- touched on. But I think it's really interesting that they those bands coexisted in in our year of the Lord, 1988, you know, like sort of without cross pollinating in some way you know yeah i would imagine that 4ad try to get them absolutely I mean, everybody tried to get them yeah and john peel was a big proponent of uh you know getting them recognition and success again john peel you know right with with all that types of music uh so he just wanted some teenage kicks he did <laughs> they're so hard to they beat, all, though man <laughs> nah, I fucking love it. Yeah, uh, I love this yeah, album. This is, yeah, it's good, wonderful. Good stuff. Yeah. It's great. Good stuff. It's great. Yeah, I'm on the positive for sure. Me too. Yay! It's it's not an album that I, I would regularly probably put on though. To tell you the truth, although like, well, I do put Bjork on a bit, but I don't know. Yeah, there's yeah. just something about this that doesn't. Well, I can't because it is Icelandic B-52s and Sheila would just get very sad. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't hates, she she hates like the B-52s. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, <laughs> They're not as... Are, are they as cheeky as B-52s? Am I missing something here? Are they talking about hot pants and shit? I mean, kind of. Not as right? campy. <clears throat> yeah. They're not They're not as full throttle camp as the B-52s are. But, but I wonder what, like, Birch brought up too. Maybe we just don't get it because it doesn't translate exactly, right? I'm yeah. sure some of that, yeah. This could be absolutely be true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do feel like this can come across as more of just like a straightforward, like post-punk record, especially with like Delicious Demon. You still have yeah. Einar doing his thing. Yeah. But that chorus, though, it's simple. It's straightforward. It's Bjork kind of doing what Bjork does, but it's also in this very like post-punk kind of way. Um, that guitar riff going into it, into the chorus, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so, and there's some stuff like that with the B-52s doing a different way. Uh, but I, I feel like there's some straightforward things with this record that do make it mm-hmm. a little bit different that I do like. I think it's a fantastic album. Yeah, me too. Yeah, this week was the first listen for me. I'd, I'd never, I'd never checked out Sugar Cubes before. Yeah, I really only knew. I mean, I knew, I knew Birthday, but I mean, that was kind of really it. Man, I don't even think I knew Birthday. Oh, really? Wow. As, okay. As, yeah, as, yeah. as catchy of an earworm as it is. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like like it was kind of a big single in the U.S. It was definitely a big single in the U.K., but it was one of those that just didn't get like continue, mm. you know, I, you know, things that just got put into movies or put on yeah. compilations or whatever um, that continued on as big hits from the 80s. And this just wasn't one of them. Yeah, yeah I, I had read all week about how, how big of a, an international breakthrough hit birthday was, but this was my first time hearing it. Well, and, and you know, interesting, you know, then it's goes without saying too that Bjork becoming a mega solo star kind of you know just kind of eclipsed everything and you hear you'll, you'll, you'll have million. that when yeah. when you're in a post-punk band with the woman who will be Bjork yes exactly man we're playing all these shows and we're getting good press but everyone just wants to talk about our uh our phenomenal once in, a gener- mm, once, once in a generation mm, singer you know right. <laughs> the, the right. Jim Henson Muppet being operated by 12 people underneath yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Can't convince me she's not a Muppet. <laughs> All right. Next time we'll be talking about Dwight Yoakam, Buenas Noches from a Lonely Room. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. She's What can she do? She needs-